Hey everyone, Mitchell here. Before we get started, we want to say a big thank you to the Walton Family Foundation for their support this season. We are back. Welcome back to the Fieldwork Podcast. This is the podcast by farmers for farmers. I'm Zach Johnson a farmer in West Central Minnesota. I am Mitchell Hora. I'm a farmer in Iowa, and we have a new farmer that's joining us now so that we have more farms from around the world, around the country. I don't know. Tara. Hello, welcome. everyone. Thanks, for, thanks for having me. Thanks for letting me join season four. And you farm down in New Mexico. Yeah, so my name's Tara Vanderdeusen. I'm a dairy farmer in New Mexico. And she's our new host. And I'm the new host. Woo! We had to bring somebody that would actually bring something to the yeah. table besides just Mitchell. Somebody that like knows what they're talking about. Right. And like will read the script and like do everything that's in the job description that like I yeah, we don't do. Unlike Mitchell, who doesn't realize we have scripts. Yeah. Or that's notes, my bad. show notes. I'll do better. Tara, tell us about your farm down there. So a uh, little bit different than, you know, row crop farmers up here. We obviously have livestock. We're a dairy farm. We milk Holsteins. Um, and obviously, I would say our resource concerns and sustainability practices are going to look a little different than your guys's. Um, we obviously have a shortage of water. So hopefully I'll probably bring be bringing a lot to the table as far as what animal agriculture is doing for sustainability, as well as, um, you know, what water conservation looks like in the Southwest. Yeah, we're at Zach's farm here now and in, in, in the shed with amazing acoustics. <laughs> <laughs> there was a great cricket earlier. There was, yeah. It settled down. We've got the dog going in and out and the rainstorms coming and going. Yeah. So it's real. Yeah, we had to introduce Tara to what rain is this morning. That like the rain, like that's what was falling from the sky this morning when we were on our on our way here. It was really interesting. It's also very cold. I think it's like sixty five. <laughs> yeah, that is <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hopefully you'll make it through this show. I mean, I'm hoping we've got like, what, one hour on the clock? I mean, hopefully I can get through it. Yeah, that, I would imagine that's a while for you. We yeah, need to build like cold. a bonfire or something yeah. over here. <laughs> like space eaters. <laughs> get a space eater going. <laughs> is there a lot of dairy in New Mexico or at least yes, in your area? Yes, there is. There's a ton of dairy. I feel like that is something that kind of surprises people. Um, I don't know. New Mexico is not necessarily like famous, I feel like, for dairies. But we actually have the world's largest cheese plant. So I like to, you know, brag about that a little bit. But, yeah, we got a lot of dairies. Yeah, we produce awesome. a lot of milk. Cool. Did, did you grow up on the dairy farm? I did. I'm a fifth generation dairy farmer. And then I married a dairy farmer. So pretty much like my whole life is dairy farming. Um, I got a degree in environmental science. And so uh, I always tell people like I actually don't work with the cows. Um, so I know it's kind of like a weird job on the dairy farm. But I do all like environmental side of things, nutrient management, water conservation, just soil sampling, all that good stuff. Kind of the back end of the dairy is what I like to call it. <laughs> The, Pun intended. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> the back end. The manure application going back on nutrient management. Yep, nutrient, nutrient management. management. Lots of nutrient Organic management. Organic nutrient management. Definitely. So, and that's all for compliance. It's like state compliance or that's like federal compliance and stuff too? Yeah, a little bit of both. Uh, federal compliance, state compliance. Um, obviously, we deal with like water rights. So, some of it can even be, you know, with your office of state engineer, tracking your water use, all that fun stuff. I would imagine that it is, yeah. So is this something you're doing 
you're doing it for the state of New Mexico and not just for your dairy? No. So I um, like I'm an independent consultant, environmental consultant. So the um, our dairy and then other dairies in the area are my clients, actually. Got it. And so I consult for dairies, like on dairy's behalf. Um, I'm kind of the liaison between dairy farmers and like their state, you know, regulatory agencies. Sure, sure. So I would imagine, yeah, you're going to be able to bring some different perspectives to this show for sure versus what Mitchell and I deal with here, like you said, on row crop stuff. Yeah. I'm excited to share, yeah, livestock with you guys a little bit. Next time we got to go down to New Mexico. Uh, it's probably warmer there. It for sure is. <laughs> it's a little bit warmer. That's what we're saying. Like, we're going there during the winter when it's like negative 20 up here at Zach's place and we'll get down to Tarzan. That sounds like It'll be plan. like 30 and we'll be like, it's freezing. And you guys will be like, it's like shorts weather. <laughs> There is some big dirt track races there in January, so if we have to do that, we can make it work. Yeah. Work trip. I don't think I've told Zach this, but yeah, my dad has an active sand dune in the back of his dairy, so there's a two-mile track in the sand dune, so come on down. Let's, Let's do have it. some fun. What is a active sand dune like? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you guys got to teach me about rain. I don't I know what that is. I get to teach you about <laughs> sand dunes. Uh, so active sand dunes, they're moving. They're like growing, changing. They like roll. Sounds like. Roll through. I thought active just meant like you just show up. Bring, bring <laughs> they're really active. Yeah, you yeah, go out there and you yeah. are active on the sand dunes. These things are alive? Yeah, they're alive. Does it ever go in? <laughs> the hills are alive. <laughs> <laughs> the hills have eyes. So wait, how far does this thing move? Like, is it like every year it kind of like goes bit. all the way down Actually, and so like I comes looked, up every year? I got like super geeky on Google Earth and went back to like the 80s, as far, you know, as far back as you could go. And you can see it changing and moving. It's really cool. You can do it with any sand dunes. It's pretty cool to see. Zach, how do your do your sand dunes move <laughs> up here? Well, see, on this show, we talk about trying to keep your sand dunes in place. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, have you ever tried to cover crop your sand dunes so that it doesn't move? <laughs> yeah, we farm in the desert. We definitely try to cover crop all the sand. How does that work for you? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it definitely helps. So, yeah, we have some weird practices that we try to do to help the sand. I don't even know what question to ask. <laughs> I'm sorry. We headed in a sand. weird direction, huh? I'm already confused. Can we go back to two hosts? <laughs> <laughs> I lost my job already. <laughs> it was so much easier when it was just like black dirt, <laughs> flat, no. snow. Now I'm snow like bringing in spotted cows that moo. I'm sorry. Spotted cows that moo? Yeah, I'm bringing that to the table. So we had you on the Fieldwork podcast in like, I don't remember, like if it was season one or two or sometime. It was like a, while a while ago because it was in studio. So, But like what's, yeah, because we were in the studio yeah. in yep. St. Paul. Yeah, and I was in Zach the studio in New Mexico. Yeah. So now, like, I guess kind of what makes you interested in, like, the podcast now? Like, what are some of the other key things that you want to, like, for sure hit on and things that you want to talk about? Yeah, so I feel like there is, like, I'm, like I kind of said at the beginning, I'm excited to bring animal agriculture into the conversation a little bit more. I know you guys cover a lot of, like, row crops, a lot of soil health. Um, and so I think there's a lot of really cool farmers and interesting people doing really cool things out there in animal ag with sustainability. So I'm excited to, like, kind of bring that, I guess, to the table um, and share that with you. Talk a lot more about cow manure, I would guess, um, than what you guys have previously done. We love manure talk. Yeah. That's going to be a very popular topic for me. And I would imagine a lot of farmers that are listening, too. Yeah. Because that's something that very true. we really haven't talked a lot about. No. Well, but it is more looking at how, like, holistically all of this really yeah. works together. And, and you know, being able to weigh out, like, that you can have some negative aspects of, like, within animal agriculture. But there's a way more positives that it brings as well. So being able to continue to improve upon that outcome and... 
like you were saying, carbon footprint or water use or replacing some of the nutrients that we utilize, you know, replacing synthetic fertilizer with manure and stuff too. And absolutely. And like, I always think dairies are a cool aspect to add to any like farming community because there's so much that like cattle can use that's wasted. So like in California, you know, the, the uh, shells from almond hole, like the almond holes get used as bedding. Like, it, you know, that would be a waste for that farmer. And instead now we don't have to buy bedding or the farmers in California don't have to buy bedding. They purchase the almond holes. And I just think that that aspect of adding dairy is just, um, you know, it just adds another layer of dynamics to your entire like system. I think that's something that gets overlooked a lot by people that don't understand the industry is how it all works together, right? Yeah. I mean, if we don't have, if we don't have livestock, I mean, there's a lot of crop that we grow that we don't have somebody to sell to, yep. right? Because we're growing a, a product that is sold to the livestock industry. And I think another thing that's interesting that I'd like to kind of like talk about too and interview some people on is about what like cattle's role in like grasslands is like how a lot of people think you remove cattle from the system and you could just instantly grow like a crop like avocados or you know like a plant-based thing when in reality a lot of times cattle are grown on like marginal lands like in New Mexico we're not going to be growing like the best lettuce like we can have dairies. Right. Um, and then in, you know, say Nebraska, North Dakota, South Dakota, like those areas, the cattle grazing is really great for your, the natural grassland ecosystem. Like there's a lot of benefits that people don't think about when they're not going to be able to do anything else with that land, you know? And so being able to talk to some of those farmers and ranchers that are doing um, a lot of sustainability out there on the grasslands, I think would be really cool. So part of your animal integration is fainting goats. How does that fit into your carbon footprint? <laughs> yeah, my my goats are definitely making my carbon footprint take a hit, I think, because they are solely for entertainment. But I have two fainting goats. Uh, and they're what are hilarious. The names? Dusty and Rose, they're brother and sister. One is brown and one is spotted like a cow. They're my daughters. The Dusty is my oldest daughters and Rose is my younger daughters. And they faint... Every time I try to back out of the garage, every time I try to pull into the garage and you have to wait until they unfaint, it's like the worst defense mechanism that has ever evolved in the history of evolution. It, it just doesn't make sense. It does not make sense. But, but it's very you, entertaining. I guess that's, that's their, they evolved to just be entertaining. Maybe which, they're geniuses. Which is valuable. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if I was a, like a wolf going after a goat and the thing just tipped over, fell on its head You'd and blast. fainted. Yeah, I'd be like, yeah, I'm just, I'm not eating that. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's that's that Something's wrong. It definitely like has like something wrong with its head. And I'm not gonna eat it. Because <laughs> that's what you said. Like they faint like head first. Yeah, they too. faint head first. They're, so some like there's the full faint, and then there's like just they stiffen up, like their legs stiffen up, and they just freeze. And then if it continues, then the front legs go forward, head first, straight into the concrete or grass or whatever they're standing on, and then they're fine. I mean, you feel like kind of bad as you're laughing, but then like you're like, I I didn't do anything. I opened a door. Like it's not like you're like mean to them. They like wake back up. They're like, and then they kind of like you know it takes them. They kind of like hop a little like as they're kind of getting going. It's kind of like when you faint. You know you like whoa like what happened? I don't know if you guys have ever fainted before. Like blacked out. No. Like you like bump your funny bone or something. Bump your funny bone. You tip over and faint. <laughs> yes. <laughs> maybe there's just, like maybe there's something in the water in New Mexico. Actually, like we should reevaluate our trip. Uh, but no, like you take a second to like get back up and get going, and they do too. They're like chilling. I don't know. You guys got to come see. Do you them. think they know they fainted? Are they? Do they act embarrassed? That's a good question. I guess I'm gonna have to pay more attention. I'll video it. Send it to you. We can yeah, do a yeah, case study. Yeah, we need study. some videos of this. Yeah. So what? The goats just like hang out. Like they are you don't free have, like, grass. range goats. Like, do you have grass? Yeah, I have yard? a yard. 
Yeah. I have a yard. Um, they're free-range goats. They go down to the milk cow pen, and they'll get some of the good feed, you know, from the milk cows. And then they cross the street over into just, like, some natural grass area. We call it their daytime feeding grounds. They cross the street, go eat over there. Why did the goat cross the road? <laughs> to get to the other side, for sure. No, to get to the daytime feeding ground. <laughs> yeah, so, um, yeah, the goats are quite entertaining. I have a really important question about fainting goats. <laughs> yes, Zach. If if it's standing like in the water and you scare it, <laughs> does it tip over in the water? Like, I think we've covered this, but there's not standing water in New Mexico. So yeah. I think we're... yeah, remember the lakes have no water in them. <laughs> yeah, I think okay. we've covered that. Let's say you're in Minnesota. <laughs> if we and you take your goat on a boat, <laughs> goat on a boat in Minnesota. I would imagine if you toss a fainting goat off a boat in Minnesota. It's going to hit the water and faint. I think that'd be a bad idea. I don't think they'd yeah, but they swim. would. Fl- Are you would down float. a goat? Probably. Do goats swim? That's probably the first <laughs> when thing. They're they they when they're <laughs> yeah, unconscious. When they're unconscious, do they actively start swimming? I'm not sure how that would work. <laughs> I don't either. Okay, we have a few experiments now we're going to run on our goat. Yeah, we need to get some goats around here. Yeah. If anybody listening could help us out by getting Zach a couple of fainting goats, we, you would really we help our case studies. It'd be interesting enough, but if they start fainting every time I need to get somewhere with a tractor and they're <laughs> sitting in front of me, like they're, they're just not going to last. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. They're not gonna last. It no. is a I'm commitment. I'm gonna take him to the nearest puddle and scare him. <laughs> Having fainting goats is definitely a commitment to you know slowing down and taking your time. I'm not good at that. <laughs> not good at that. Yeah, the dogs around here they've got to move or they've been ran over twice. Your your dogs both. Well, run over. that's how you learn. School of hard knocks. <laughs> yeah. Get run over once, you don't sleep under a pickup again. <laughs> yeah, true. It's good. So yeah, what if they're underneath your vehicle and they faint yeah. and you don't know that they're down no, there? No, you do have to like kind of like I I feel like it's like a conscious thing now. You kind of like scan for the goats a little bit. You do a quick goat scan. Yeah, <laughs> do a quick goat quick. scan. Your morning starts with a quick goat scan and then you go. Survey the area for the fainting goats. Figure out where where oh, they're at. Oh my gosh. You guys got to come. They're hilarious. Add it to the list. I'm pretty New excited Mexico about things. going yeah. and checking out the goats. Yeah. I feel like we can have some fun. How do they play into the sustainability side of things on your farm? Yeah. Um, great question. <laughs> come back to me. <laughs> Organic fertilizer for the yard, yeah, Zach. No, yeah. And we don't have to run a lawnmower. Just kidding. That makes sense. Totally not Lower true, carbon but... footprint from your lawnmower. Yeah. Lower carbon footprint, natural fertilizer, aerates the grass, I would guess. Great, thank you. Thanks for helping me with that. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. No problem. <laughs> <laughs> no carbon, grass-fed, fainting goats. Yeah. <laughs> Makes all the sense in the world. Zach. It really does. All right. Uh, uh, seri- more serious question here. Um, if you had some advice for farmers looking at sustainability practices, like what would your advice be? So one thing that I feel like I've learned over the years that I, since I work with a lot of producers is sustainability can feel like really overwhelming, I feel like easily. And so my advice to farmers is always like, it doesn't have to be a big project. Like you don't have to wake up and be like, I'm going to be sustainable. I'm installing a digester that costs $3 million. Like that's doesn't have to be that. Um, and so like one of the examples I like to use is one of the ways we can conserve water in our barns is just making sure like our hoses aren't leaking, that we have nozzles on all our hoses, that we have timers, they automatically shut off. So you're not sitting there like, 
you know, kind of like watering for too long or cleaning something for too long. Like it, and that has a massive impact. Like when you look at water usage, when you track it in the barn, like every day, meter readings, you can really see how like a super small management practice like that can drastically reduce your water use. And like, it goes so much further than that. Then you're not using electricity to pump out of the, the groundwater and you don't have to run it through your separator at the end. You don't have to put it on in your fields. Like it's that whole, like just by not using the water from the start, you can save a lot down the way. And so that's what I always tell farmers is you don't have to think like massive projects. It really can just be like everyday things. We need to ask some of the important questions here. Clearly. Yeah. So I'm interested, like we'll start with Tara. If there was an international talent competition, (laughs) what would be your talent to try to impress the judges? What would you go with? I really don't think I have a talent. Is that terrible? I like, I don't know. I'm really good at talking. Can that be my talent? Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, this is a podcast, so I guess that's 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 as good as it's going to get from me. Yeah, <laughs> I'm talentless. Well, what are your guys's? Somebody else answer, and then maybe I'll come up with something that's my talent. I would bring an active sand dune <laughs> yeah. to the competition <laughs> and show how you can, how active it is. I'm going to really do. I'll do a science experiment. I'll be like, here is what wind erosion on sand dunes looks like. That's great. That's a great talent. That's yeah. going to be my talent. Thank you for that. You're welcome. I feel very talented. Yeah, I got nothing. I just like dig for worms and that's it. So I'd probably like, you know, bring some worms. and. You should bring worms to the sand and we'd probably improve the sustainability. It definitely would help. Yeah. Yeah. yeah when we go down to your place, we can bring you some worms. Thanks. Appreciate it. I suppose the worms are thin down there. Like that, that's for real. Is there not many earthworms in the uh, desert? I mean, there is earthworms, but probably I would guess not as much as if I dug up like a shovel full of dirt here. I'd like to dig into that. Okay. Pun intended. Pun intended. <laughs> Nailed it. You haven't told us what your talent is yet. Yeah. Yeah, no the active sand dune thing. Oh, you, that's yours too? Yeah. Oh. Oh, I took it. It was my idea. <laughs> yeah. But it I was took there it from you. you. All, along. <laughs> all right, all right. So wait, uh, of course I got to talk more about the worms. So what kind, do you know like what your organic matter and that kind of stuff is in your area? It varies like really widely, um, but it can be like lower than two and then there's other places it's better. So we, one of the things we do is we will apply a significant amount of um, like our solid manure to try to build up the organic matter in the sand, especially on drought years when we know it's like blowing really bad. New Mexico is known for its wind. We will use like um, cow manure to hold down the sand because we will have places where it like sometimes will remind you of pictures in the Dust Bowl where there will be sand blown over the road and then there'll be like signs like blowing sand and so when that happens they try to contain so now we're talking about controlling the active sand dunes with manure and cover crops it's a double whammy yeah, and then sometimes we plant um I don't I would guess you guys don't do this, but one year it was really bad. And so we planted our rows like in what would that be? Crisscross to try to slow down the wind from blowing the sand across. So we do some crazy things. We try to get creative in New Mexico. Is Do you do any tillage? We try to do minimal till. Um, there is some tillage with dairies. Obviously, you're trying to get silage, and so there is some till, like when you need to get the silage trucks in there and things. Um, but we try to do minimal till, essentially. So what kind of crops are you growing for the dairy? And if you're growing crops off the dairy for grain, what do you, no, you grow? No, everything goes to the dairy that we grow. Um, and that's probably the biggest thing we're doing for sustainability is really looking at different types of crops we can grow. We talked about this a little bit yesterday, you and I, that, um, you know, just experimenting with new crops that are drought tolerant. So this year we grew canola. Um, last year was our first year to grow it. We've tried oats. We do triticale, winter wheat, um, not a lot of corn anymore. That's, you know, a little bit of corn here and there if we think we're going to get some rain that summer. Um, a 
lot of hay grazer, sedan, sorghum mixes, um, just some different varieties, just kind of seeing what works. <laughs> yeah, we like to keep just corn and beans. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We used to keep to two crops too, and now we're trying to, you know, branch out. I think we had like five different crops on um, our dairies this year. And everything gets chopped for silage, or do you guys like wet bale anything? Or No, pretty much everything is silage. And then we work obviously with farmers in our area to get additional corn silage and other things we need. I mean... How did the canola turn out down there? <laughs> that was That's an really interesting, interesting project, to say the least. Um, this year, we actually thought it was dead. So we planted oats into it, and then they both came back because we got a little bit of rain, um, and they both did really well. And so we're kind of like looking at what that blend or mix is going to look like because it's kind of it's interesting. It was definitely an experiment, but it was beautiful. I mean, looking at all the yellow flowers, I'll admit, I was like, yes, let's grow more of this if it works. It was pretty. Is that common down there? No. Is there much canola? No, uh-uh. There's a couple now. There's a few dairies driving by that you can um, that you can see. Like, you know, obviously you spot the yellow fields a long way away, but it's fairly new. The oats are pretty new. And then the further south you get, there's different things. But that's like eastern New Mexico area. What about irrigation? Yeah, everything's irrigated. Everything. I mean, we do dry land um, just because there's not a lot of water. So we do do a lot of dry land, which is why we're getting away from corn. But I mean, essentially, if you want to water something, you have to irrigate it. I also grew dry land corn this year. Yeah. yeah. Was that really tough for you with 28 inches of rain? Well. <laughs> You're in a drought this year. <laughs> we were much, much below 28 inches so far for this year. So This year, but normally that must be a challenge. Well, usually, usually there's too much rain typically. From May 1st to August 23rd, we had 1.6 inches total. <laughs> no, driving up, I think I only saw one center pivot the two hours from. Actually, if you go 10 miles northeast of here, there's a lot of center pivots. Oh, interesting. It, it, it is interesting. It gets really sandy about 10, 15 miles from here versus 10, 15 miles to the northwest, which is Red River Valley. And then you go north from there, and it's, it's the total opposite. It's the flattest, blackest soil you'll probably ever see. Anywhere. Ever. Ever. The most flattest and the most blackest <laughs> soil. <laughs> we'll be back after a short break. So why New Mexico? Yeah. Why is there all the dairies? Why, why are they in New Mexico? The reason for the dairies in New Mexico is um, if you've ever been to New Mexico, there's a lot of wide open spaces. So we have open lot dairies, which is very different than like, say, the Midwest or just anywhere that really gets like rain. So our cows are outside all year round with shades and wind blocks. And um, so, yeah, wide open spaces. There was great feed where we moved, a lot of farmers to work with. So you're saying the land cost is a little like bit zero. cheaper. Like zero, yeah. <laughs> like very cheap. You guys would probably, yeah, like laugh at us. Yeah, there was land just sold in my neighborhood just a couple days ago, over 16 grand an acre. Yeah. 16,000 bucks an acre. Right. Crazy. So you picked up some land? No, I did not. <laughs> <laughs> with some spare change you found in your Yeah, couch. I did not expand the operation, no. No. It did stay like local though, and a local farmer oh, um, was able to get it, so... Yeah, and he, like, it's right there, right close to his home place, so, yeah. At least we're in Iowa, like, yeah, there's been some, like, outside people kind of coming in and, and doing it, but but for the most part, staying all local. Is that kind of how the dairies are in your area, too? Is it all, like, local family farms, or is there some, like, kind of some of the bigger companies and the corporate stuff coming in, too? Pretty much all family-owned farms, all of them. Like, I think it's something like 97% of all 
dairy farms in the United States are family-owned and operated, and um, New Mexico is like that. We definitely have a larger herd size on average. We have the largest ad- average herd size in the nation, um, and it really has to do with that climate, that dry mild climate for the most part not too too hot it gets a little hot in the summer a little cold in the winter but for the most part it's pretty mild and um yeah those open lot dairies just are a little bit different style dairying than what some people may have seen or are used to and part of that is your elevate you're like pretty high yeah we're like four thousand feet elevation really yeah is it mountainous there no no (laughs) high plains high plains so I mean, the it's Rockies are west is, of you. No, I mean, we have mountains in New Mexico. Like, you can go snow skiing and all that good stuff. Um, but not in eastern New Mexico. It's all high plains. Got it. I didn't realize the elevation was that high. Yeah, it's a, real, it's a lot higher than people think. Huh. Yeah. Would Albuquerque, you, New Mexico, is actually higher elevation than Denver, Colorado. That, that blows me away. <laughs> fun fun that, fact of the day. That's a really fun fact right there. Yeah. Seems like a lot of work to walk to Albuquerque. Yeah, it probably would Uphill be. Uphill all the time. I don't recommend it. You guys are coming to New Mexico. Yeah, I'm going to drive you guys all around. Um, no, New Mexico is a really diverse state. I mean, you guys were kind of talking about that with here in Minnesota, but like um, you go a little bit south, there's dairies, you know, in like the Roswell area as well. Um, they have like surface water there, definitely more like barley, corn, um, triticale there than what we grow in Clovis. Um, and then you keep going south and you have obviously Hatch, which is like green chili capital of the world. And then down into Las Cruces, like Mesilla Valley, you got lots and lots of vegetables and all sorts of stuff down there. Um, but it's warm down there, obviously. Um, they like grow palm trees and stuff. So it's a very diverse state. And then up north, you have lots of mountains, skiing, you know, that whole side of things. Tara, going back to some of the sustainability stuff and like the tracking and compliance things that you do. Yeah. Like, what do you, what do you see as like, what's going to happen there as this continues to go forward? Like what's the momentum like down in New Mexico or for like dairy overall with, you know, a continuous push towards sustainability? Yeah. I think there's a lot of opportunity coming up for dairies in general, just not in New Mexico. Um, I, you know, we set, a big goal last year, dairies did nationwide to be carbon neutral better by 2050. Um, and so I just think there's going to be a lot of innovation, a lot of technology, just a lot of information out there, new things to try. Um, and so I'm actually really excited. I'm excited to see what happens and where we're headed. Obviously for New Mexico, it goes back to water conservation. Um, but there's been a lot of development. I don't know, you know, I mean, our water table is declining, which is obviously like a real fear and a real concern, but I'm hopeful that like technology and sustainability measures will like keep up with it and we'll be there for a long time. I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. Okay. You, you, you said that dairies have, you're going to try to be carbon neutral by 2050. Yeah. I would imagine as dairy farms that this is not something where you're going to purchase carbon credits from row crop farmers, right? You, you're going to actually be carbon a carbon neut- neutral business? Yeah, and there um, we actually just did a whole uh, project with our co-op to figure out what, where we're at carbon-wise um, and see how close we were to like carbon neutral um, and getting there. And so, yeah, you know, there's lots of different options. I'm sur- sure here in like the Midwest, there's a lot of digesters that help dairies. Uh, our area doesn't have digesters yet. The technology is just not quite there for how like dry we are. Um, our manure just doesn't have the same amount of liquids. And... Um, but there's other options. There's all sorts of things. There's a bunch of technology coming out with worms, which you would love, oh, nice. uh, that help reduce carbon on dairies. And dairy has a long track record of reducing you know, carbon emissions. In the last 75 years, we've reduced our carbon footprint by 66%. And then in the last 10 years, we've reduced it an additional 20%. So North America has the lowest carbon footprint for a gallon of milk 
And one other fun fact, our total emissions are decreasing while milk production's increasing. That's what's up. Yeah, to me, that's the real difference there when you talk about being carbon neutral. Yeah. You know, you're not just opening the wallet so that you can claim you're being carbon neutral and putting it on somebody else. You're actually going to be carbon neutral. I mean, that's the real deal there. Right. But I've got an idea for the anaerobic digesters here. Okay. I might be able to solve this issue. Well, then let's hear it. You're so dry, the manure is not as liquid as it is up here, you're saying. Correct. So it doesn't have energy. Have you thought about blending into your feed like some Budweiser? (laughs) (laughs) I I see where you're going here, and I like it. (laughs) Or like some nachos. (laughs) Maybe a little Taco Bell. I just told you we feed them green chilies, and they're fine. I don't think that's going to (laughs) work. They're tough. (laughs) <laughs> tough cows. <laughs> we're gonna have to keep brainstorming here on how we're gonna get. The, how well, we're I gonna tried. Make things more liquid. Well, and we do already feed like brewery waste, so they're like we're. That, I mean, we're kind of already doing that. You're trying. We're trying. They already beat you to the punch, Arizona. Yeah. It's tough to liquefy a cow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> really tough. <laughs> really tough to liquefy. But it's more so. I mean, they still. They're still urinating, but it's just that it's so dry, it's just evaporating off right away. Right, and it's open lot, so you obviously just have a lot more. The evapotranspiration rate is higher, and um, it's just not collected. This is the same way as when your cows are, like, in a barn more often, like, more t- days out of the year. Sure. And you also don't get rain to add to it. We don't get rain. I think that's going to be the theme of this um, interview today. No rain. Yeah, no but rain Zach also, no rain yeah, except Zach for Yeah, Zach doesn't have rain yeah, either. Yeah, so. I can relate. <laughs> yeah. But that's going to bring some different conversation because I would imagine that brings a lot of other challenges as far as what you do with your water and how you take care of it. Yeah. Dairies typically recycle one gallon of water four to five times in their barn. And so I think we'll continue like making improvements there so that our actual water usage on the dairy. So that's something in New Mexico, we're actually regulated on exactly how much water we use in our barn. It's metered on the way in, metered on the way out. um, And you have to stay under a permitted amount. Is that metering the manure then too? That's an interesting thing about meter placement. So you typically, it does, it meters um, on the way out. It'll obviously catch some manure. So typically you would want your meter after the solid separator to eliminate that. Because otherwise you're going to have a slightly inflated meter reading. So then you were telling me, though, the the liquid manure, you guys are running back through the irrigation pivot. Yes, we are. So we collect all of our uh, water from the barn into our lagoon, all our what rainwater we get in our lagoon, and then we run that through the irrigation. So you sample the lagoon four times a year to see what nutrients are available, and then we soil sample down to three feet to see what's in the fall, what's available, before we apply our um, plant our winter crop. That is a lot of sand when you're taking the sample all the way down to three foot deep. <laughs> Feet, hey, yeah. sand's easy to sample. It was, um, you know, it's when you hit like caliche and stuff that it sucks soil sampling. Hit what? You guys don't have caliche? <laughs> oh my gosh. This is, is that code word for delicious? Really hard calcium rich uh, dirt. It's like white. It's, not, uh, it's totally different than like a limestone. Yeah, I think so. No, so I we have never like, heard that word. Well, so like some of the soil around here, you can get like little calcium deposits. Oh, okay. It's more so where you have like little white specks in the soil. Is that oh, okay? No, ours is like all white. Oh, I don't it's know. completely it's white. Called... I'm really confused. <laughs> I'm like, we, wait, we need to like go back to the basics of soil like texture profile <laughs> and like evaluate the differences. Where's it at on the sand, salt, clay? Yeah, exactly. That's what we need to look at. It's in the caliche. <laughs> it's in the caliche. You can look it up under caliche. <laughs> I need to go back to my senior year in college and be like, what was that? What was the color? 
I don't know. So I'll like around here, them. they'll have like little costume deposit stuff, but it's from like the water table coming up and like you have wedding and re-wedding, like the water table moving up and down. You'll get those like little deposits. Especially we've get, there's some fields a few miles from here that are down like at lake level. We've got some big lakes and you can see, especially in the spring, the soil's like white. Wait, you have the lakes in separates. Minnesota? We, have, we do. We have lakes in Minnesota, yes. Oh, I think that's going to be another difference. You guys probably don't, don't know what playa lakes are. No, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> they're like they're what New Mexico calls lakes. They're not. They're not really lakes. Are they man-made? No, they're just natural. Like um, so, it's so flat. There's natural like depressions that um, water collects and recharges the aquifer. They're called playa lakes. I think it's like a Southwest thing, though. I don't know that they're like anywhere outside of like New Mexico, West Texas. It sounds like it's just a lake. But it There's doesn't a depression have actually where water. water but they don't actually have water in them most of the time. There's not a lot of water. <laughs> so, it's, so it's more just like a little it's valley? Like, yeah. It's a puddle. <laughs> it's like a valley that maybe has a puddle in the bottom of it? Yes, yes. So you're saying you cannot take your boat out on it? Correct. Do well, they, you could. I mean, in theory, yeah. You just wouldn't be able to really do a whole I lot mean, with yeah, your boat? I mean, yeah, you might hit your prop, like, oh. on the bottom. That's a problem. That's a problem. Yeah, so that's another difference. We're going to have to... <laughs> Never that's done that before, right? Definite difference. Oh, well, yeah. you know what? We're going to have to interview a farmer about them because they have to make terraces so that the center pivots go over the playlix. That would be a great... It's really interesting. It's through NRCS. Got to interview someone about that. Weird. So they, they, can, they, can so they build up like a terrace like through the middle of it? Yeah, so that, so that the, the pivot can cross over. Okay, so these... Plyo lakes are not very big. They're like a couple hundred acres at most. Yeah, they can be bigger or smaller. It really just depends. But most are like not that big. Yeah, pretty much just sounds like kind of like a little valley. Yeah. <laughs> do, you, do you farm through them? You can, yeah. You can. Yeah. How big are the fields there? Are we talking like... Most um, center pivots are 120 acres. It's like average, but they can... Now there's bigger ones. There's obviously smaller ones, but I would so, say 120 is like average. Like a lot of quarter sections. Yeah. Okay. Similar cool. to where Mitchell and I are from. Yeah, yeah. So it's all like gridded out and stuff, right? Yeah. Like all your roads and mm-hmm. everything is all square. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we have square roads in New Mexico. <laughs> <laughs> square roads. <laughs> well, I, mean, I, I don't know if you know this, but I mean, <laughs> New Mexico, it's a part of the United States. It's one of the 50 states. I just feel like people need to know that. That's one of the most asked questions I get. I needed a passport to come here. I did not. <laughs> did not need a passport. <laughs> New Mexico. Do you drive on the other side of the road down there? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, we drive on the same side. Our roads are square. There we go. <laughs> square roads. <laughs> That's good. So it's all staked out. <laughs> just yes. like here. We have modern technology, indoor plumbing. <laughs> indoor plumbing? Wait. Wow. Do you guys have the, inter- you guys have the internet on that, computers? There? You know what? The internet's kind of spotty, but I mean, in theory, we have it. Internet's on computers. <laughs> cool. Seems fancy. They barely have yeah. that here. It seems way too fancy. <laughs> So speaking of that, part of what you do is a lot of outreach, a lot of like telling the story, using yep. social media. Um, tell us maybe a little bit more on like how did that come to be? Yeah. So um, if you follow me online, you probably know me as New Mexico Milkmaid. That's what I like go by. Um, and, you know, at dairy farming, there's a lot of misinformation out there around sustainability. There's a lot of misinformation about animal welfare. When I started sharing, I felt like a lot of people were doing a great job about talking about animal welfare, but people weren't really talking about the sustainability side of things. Um, when I first started sharing, I really like was kind of nervous to share because I wasn't going to share about the cows, which was going to be kind of weird to be a dairy farmer not sharing really about the cows. Um, but I focused on water quality manure management you know what the cows eat as far as sustainability goes um and i 
it's been a lot of fun to say the least. And I feel like I hopefully reach some people, change some people's minds um, about, you know, what dairy sustainability looks like. So when did you start that channel? So I started with my blog originally about five years ago. And then I started sharing on like Instagram probably like a couple years ago, like two or three years ago. Have you gone over to TikTok? I kind of did. And then when Instagram started Reels, I just decided I was too old for that and stuck with Instagram. (laughs) Are you making the Reels? I am making Reels occasionally. Hmm. I've never made one of those. Really? They bug me. They're too noisy. I like my social media to be quiet. Yeah, I want to read. Isn't that kind of weird for a person who shares on YouTube? Like, isn't there audio attached to your YouTube? But I don't watch YouTube. I'm just on it. I don't watch any of it. (laughs) So... I really like reels because I have a hard time recording video in New Mexico because the wind is so bad. Like if I want to record outside, it is always my audio is terrible. So the reels are kind of fun because then I can just put music over it and not worry about it. Is that like year round or is that a seasonal thing? No, it's, the spring is really the worst, but it's pretty much year round. We're really flat. So there's just not a lot to stop the wind. High plains. Yeah. W- when you say it's windy, like what's, what's the wind speed on a average day, normal day? Oh, I'm like, I would say an average day is like 15. Okay. And then, so maybe like what it is here today? Yeah, probably. Maybe a little more. I don't know. Your trees seem pretty like, we don't really have trees, so it's hard to judge it's that. It's hard to judge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't see a flag, but uh, it looks like it's pretty still here. Um, yeah, it's not that uncommon. In the spring, it's not that uncommon to have like 40 mile an hour winds, like for multiple sustained days. Do you have to be careful not to stand too close to a sand dune? Cause yeah, you might, you'll just you might disappear. End up underneath That's it. why they move. Yeah. They try to... They, they literally eat people alive. They, so they actually like eat fence lines. Have you ever seen that where the sand dune just like takes out the fence? They have floating fences that float on the sand dunes. What? What? <laughs> now, how, come, come on. You are making this up. I am not. Like in Glamis and stuff, they have like sand dunes that float because they... That's not the real name of a city. <laughs> it's the name of a sand dune. Um, no, they, yeah, they have like floating. I don't know how they work exactly. I mean, I'm not like a fence engineer, but I mean, they like stay on top of the sand. On their own? I'm just sure they just... probably need some help along the way, but like a regular like barbed wire fence will just get like, it'll be just gone. The sand will just move over top of it. Right. That makes sense. But eventually it'll be, it'll move over and the fence comes back, right? Yeah. I mean, I guess it just depends how many like acres of sand you have blowing your direction. I need to know about these floating fences. <laughs> yeah, this may, so yeah, around here, it'd be like just floated on your lake. Right. Be fine. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. probably like, like the that. same concept, I would guess. Floating on a lake, except for floating on a sand I'm dune. I'm trying to think of like how this could even work, but I suppose it's just like got some kind of a base on yeah, it. Yeah, they or have whatever, like big bases it, and stuff. Yeah. I don't, I'm not, I'm going to say, I'm, you know, I feel like I'm stepping outside of my lane here, but, uh, we do that all the time. <laughs> okay. Are we adding this to our list of like what we have to go see when we go to New Mexico? Yes. White sands. I'll take you to white sands. That's our coolest sand dune in New Mexico. It's all white sand. Is that why they call it white sands? Yeah. It's kind of like, a, <laughs> it's a very descriptive name. <laughs> You're like, what are we going to call this sand dune? White Let's just call it white sands. sands. It seems great. <laughs> it's very convenient. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, <laughs> it makes sense. Yeah, it's really pretty. Every once in a while, it's super rare because it's in southern New Mexico, but it'll snow on it, and you literally like, can't tell the difference between the snow and the sand. It's really cool. That's pretty white. It sounds cold. <laughs> it, it, like it is. a terrible beach. I'm sure it like <laughs> melts by that afternoon, but um, you know, like the hour that it's there. For the hour that you have snow, you're like, wow, so pretty. I should go buy a snowmobile. All right, you guys have been asking me all the questions, so now I'm going to ask you guys at least one question. I feel like I I have earned that. Oh. 
We're the original. <laughs> Do host. I get my? We, we ask yeah. the questions. <laughs> we we'll be interviewing as a team. <laughs> Do I get to ask one? Have I earned that after, you know, one hour of talking with I guess you guys? we do have to test and see if Tara knows how to ask questions. That way we can just let her take the lead on all the rest of the interviews and we can just, like, hang out. Yeah, that's fine. All right. So uh, my question to you guys is what are you guys looking forward to this season about learning, you know, sustainability things in, like, say, the Southwest about animal agriculture or wherever? You know, it doesn't have to be in the Southwest in animal ag, but what are you guys looking forward to? I mean, everything we've talked about already, like the livestock side of things. The fact that you don't get much water, like how do you handle that? What is the water situation there? What are these lakes that don't actually exist? <laughs> yeah. That's uh, do fainting goats, I mean, will they die in the water if you scare them? <laughs> do they swim? That's a big question. That's at least an episode and a half. Yeah. Yes. We ask the tough questions here at Fieldwork Podcast. And for me, you know, we've been talking a lot, of, of course, about like carbon market kind of stuff. So I'm I'm assuming we're still going to be talking a lot about that here this year or this season. So interested in like, how is that going to work down South where like, what, you know, how can we help farmers to, can we sequester carbon down there? Can we really, you know, build it up as aggressively as what we can maybe further North where we do get rain, um, but also where we freeze up during the winter too, that's going to impact your ability to sequester carbon. So it'd be interesting to see, you know, how just that completely different area is going to, really impact you know the ability for that farmer to maybe enroll in a carbon market as they develop or other sustainability initiatives like it's gonna be totally different no and that's always one of the interesting things about sustainability is that there's such regional differences there's resource concerns in different places what you guys are concerned about is obviously not what we're concerned about and so how does that play into the overall you know sustainability like goals and things that we've set and what our plans are with carbon markets and different things it's going to look so different in different areas which i think is also like one of the awesome things about it that's the big driver is like you know here's the overall targets here's the goals of continuing to do things better and continuing to drive sustainability but allow for those farmers to be innovative and and figure it out for their operation within their own resource concerns within their own scope of what they're dealing with and and as long that to me is regenerative ag is is continuing to improve upon implementing the soil health principles and just trying to keep looking like you said at that 30,000 foot view of how does this fit holistically into our system and yeah there's gonna be some great stories I think we can tell to continue to really highlight that and figure out how it's gonna work for pineapple farming too yeah right I think that's part of the reason why you know you mentioned that farmers tend to not like the word sustainability I think that's part of the reason why is because sustainability doesn't look the same for you as it does for me, as it does for Mitchell. And on top of that, like we're, of course, we're trying to be sustainable, right? We have to be. This is our livelihood. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, farmers, I feel like have done a lot of things. There's a lot of room for improvement. I don't think anyone's denying that. But I think making sure farmers get credit for things they've been trying along the way, even before it was, quote unquote, you know, air quotes, sustainable or green. You know, they were already trying to do things better and improve things. And so I think that is why sometimes they come to the conversation maybe hesitant. But I think there's just so much opportunity. And I think that's the way we have to look at sustainability is that opportunity for farmers and the future. Well, and especially to ensure that that farm is going to be economically sustainable and more economically resilient for the long haul, be able to connect with the consumer better, be able to just be more holistic, not even just on our op- on our actual operations and within, you know, the actual farm gate, but looking bigger picture too. Yeah, how it plays into our market. tell that story, and, yeah. Yeah. It's huge. And, and, you know, COVID has obviously accelerated a lot of that too, of people wanting to know where the food comes from and wanting to know the story and... Just that data connectivity is massive. 
Yep. Absolutely. Well, we're looking forward to this season. Uh, Tara, it's going to be fun to have you on here. Yeah, thanks for letting me join you guys. Thanks for letting me ask one question. Maybe next time I'll get in, too. <laughs> we'll let you ask all the questions for the rest of the season. You can have all the rest of them. Zach and I will just be here for the heckling and yeah. for the screwing around. And you Moral can do support. All the stuff. So we, we like to end the show frequently with the, the, the catchphrase, don't soil yourself. Okay, wow. All Are right. you okay with that? I, I guess. That's where we're headed, huh? Good, because you don't have a choice. I'm going to say it no matter what. <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah, here we go. <laughs> Wait, just target him? And yeah, you can. I'll, I'll allow you to use the phrase. Don't soil yourself. I can't even say it with a straight face. <laughs> Someone else is going to have to do it. I need more practice. I think it was better when she laughed. <laughs> I think that's it. Cue the music. <laughs> Cue the music. That's the end. <laughs> One take on it. <laughs> Tara's going to have to practice for the next episode. I will. I promise. That's it for the Fieldwork Podcast today. Our show is produced by Todd Melby with lots of great help from Anna Canny. Kristen Schmidt runs our social media and Lauren Humper is our project coordinator. Thanks to all the technical directors at American Public Media who help us record and mix the show. Be sure to check us out on social media. We're at Fieldwork Talk on all the usual channels. And we'd love it if you wrote us a review to help other people find us. And don't forget, you got to call us up. Give us your questions, comments, whatever you want to chat about. Um, call us at 651-228-4810. That is 651-228-4810. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you all next time.